In The Art of War, Sun Tzu tells us that victorious warriors win first and then go to war, while defeated warriors go to war first and then seek to win. If your goal is to earn a living from your indie films, your micro-budget films, this is wisdom to live by. I mean, what if you could virtually guarantee that your film would be profitable before you ever wrote a word or shot a frame? What if you knew with a high degree of certainty that if you engaged a particular niche, you'd be able to build a sustainable, enjoyable business by producing films for these folks? That'd be pretty rad, right? It takes so much of the pressure off when it comes to raising money and distributing your films and just all of the business stuff that most filmmakers just don't like to do. With that kind of certainty, you'd be able to focus more of your energy on telling stories you care about. You'd be able to spend more of your time doing what you love and less time worried about whether those efforts would ever pay off in any kind of real way. Once you work through the research strategies I'm about to share with you in this episode, you will have that kind of certainty. You'll be able to win the brutal war for audience attention before ever stepping foot on the battlefield. Now, I'm going to warn you up front, um, niche research is far from the sexiest topic. It might be the least sexy topic ever. And the work itself is indeed a bit tedious, maybe to the point of being boring and making you want to pull your hair out as a creative. But this is one of a small handful of things that we can proactively do to ensure a vibrant, sustainably profitable career doing work that we love. So the trade-off, I would say, is very much worth it. So if you're game for that, let's get into it. Hey friend, welcome to Filmmaker Freedom. This is a show for ambitious indie filmmakers who want to make work they're proud of, build audiences, cut out the middlemen, and earn a damn good living selling directly to their fans. My name is Rob Hardy, and I'm a filmmaker and marketing consultant who's worked with a number of brands and startups to help them connect with online audiences and grow their business. Though I'd initially given up on the idea of making a living with indie films, after years of working in the world of marketing, I saw that many of the strategies that worked for other types of companies could be applied to indie film, with a few tweaks, of course. So that's what these solo episodes of Filmmaker Freedom are, a living, breathing document of everything I've learned about marketing, entrepreneurship, creating work that resonates, and living a good life. And one last thing before we begin, I just want to thank my good friends over at Musicvine for sponsoring this show. Over the years, I've used just about every music licensing platform out there, and I can say without hesitation that Musicvine is at the very top of my list. The quality and uniqueness of the music are outstanding, the prices are reasonable, and the design and functionality of their website are second to none. It's just a pure pleasure to use. So if you're a discerning filmmaker who needs quality music, just go to musicvine.com and use the code FILMFREEDOM for 25% off your next order. All right, now let's get into the practical lesson at the heart of today's episode. Now, I can already hear some of you thinking um, just how boring and awful the phrase niche research sounds. Um, my guess is that you'd rather be out writing, shooting, editing, creating all of the fun parts of 
making films. So you might skim this episode, um, end up doing some light Googling around your potential niche, get bored, and then say something like, eh, I think I got the gist of it. We're good here. Trust me, I, I get the impulse to go down that road. But I just want to warn you up front that when you do this, you are putting yourself at legit risk. I have known far too many indie filmmakers who've spent tens or even hundreds of thousands of their own money and very often years of their lives only to find out that the market didn't really give a shit about the film they made. Hell, there's a, a filmmaker here in Tucson who spent like seven years on his first feature or something like that, also going into substantial credit card debt to make it, only to earn like 500 bucks when it was released. And honestly, I can't imagine a more brutal, disheartening, depressing outcome than that. Um, yet this is exactly the type of thing you invite into your life when you for starters, write off the niche approach entirely. And two, when you don't do your market research ahead of time, you're not only inviting financial catastrophe into your life, but you're practically holding the door open for it. And if it sounds like I'm being extreme, that's because I very much am and very intentionally, because you already know this, but indie and micro budget filmmakers are, um, shall we say, well known for their delusion on the business side of things. And of course, I'd be lying if I didn't mention that on very rare occasion, that delusion actually can pay off in terms of like a lucrative distribution deal, which then, you know, frustratingly gets covered in all of the industry trades and blogs, which then fuels the next generation of delusional filmmakers, but that's a whole nother topic for another day. But I've said it before, and I will say it again. If your plan is just to make the film you want to make, market realities be damned, and then hope for some combination of festivals and distributors and sales agents to make you whole on the back end, you are basically playing the lottery. And buying a lottery ticket is not a business plan. We already know this, but film is among the most expensive, time-consuming artistic mediums we've got. So just the cost of even buying into that lottery in the first place is far too high to justify the odds. There is just a lot to lose and astronomically low chances of winning. Now, that said, if you want to approach film as a hobby, more power to you. And full transparency, that's actually what I did for several years of my life. And I actually think if you go back and listen to old episodes of the podcast, you'll hear strains of that, um, how I really didn't want to treat film as a business for a while. Um, and frankly, it was liberating to approach it that way. However, if your intention is to make a living from your films, you can't just close your eyes to the realities of the market and hope everything will just work out. We already covered this in past episodes, but the media landscape right now is a brutal, bloody, cutthroat competition for attention. And no matter how much blind faith you have, if you approach that competition having never really learned the rules of the game, let alone trained or studied your opponents, you're going to get walloped. I imagine it's like a group of like 10-year-old Pop Warner football players going out and playing the New England Patriots. Like it's not going to be pretty. And granted, when it comes to any kind of business venture, there's never 100% certainty um, that it's going to pay off or pay off in a big way. But there is a lot that we can do to limit our exposure to risk. For starters, you learn the rules of the game. You dig into the psychology of why audiences consume media. And you search for a niche where you can be the dominant player so that you're not necessarily competing with every other thing on the internet that's vying for that group's attention. And then finally, before making anything, you get your hands dirty and do the research required to be certain that if you spend your time here, it will be financially and personally rewarding. 
once that groundwork is laid, you will have the foundations of a profitable project. Um, from that research-backed foundation, you can approach investors way more confidently to the point where they might actually take you seriously for once. You can gain huge leverage in negotiations with distributors and sales agents. And basically, you can get superior results if you're trying to make a living through the traditional film business ecosystem. Or if you're like me and you're really on board with this idea of true financial and creative freedom, you can use that foundation to cut out all of the middlemen, sell directly to your fans, and build a long-term business around your films. So again, this was kind of a, a long rant before we get into the tactical side of this, but I just want to stress that niche research really isn't sexy, and you will almost certainly find it laborious and tedious and kind of boring, but, well, unless you're a masochist, maybe then you'll like it. But if you're really serious about this indie film entrepreneurship thing, you've got to do it. Otherwise, you're just kind of rolling the dice and playing the lottery and very likely setting future you up for a bad time. So now that I've gotten all the doom and gloom out of my system, um, let's get kind of nerdy and dig into the very specific process that I use to conduct niche research. Now, there are two things we have to have out of the way before we get into the research process itself. Um, and the first thing is, if you stumbled on this, this episode without having gone through the previous entries in this series, you'll very likely want to stop and go back. Part one was about why niching down is the only strategy that really allows you a chance to win attention in the modern media ecosystem. And then part two, the last episode of this podcast, is probably the, the one of the most important things I've ever put out. Um, and it went extremely deep into how niches form and how to choose the perfect one for your films and your sensibilities. And that last one in particular, again, on using identity groups to niche down is very much a prerequisite for the research process that we're about to embark on. And once you work through the action steps that are towards the end of that episode, you should have a handful of niche hypotheses that you can bring into the research phase. So really take an hour or two, listen to that, um, go through the exercises at the end, and then come back here. Um, so that we can dig into the process that you'll use to test those hypotheses. Cool? Cool. The second thing that we need to do before getting our hands dirty with research is to set up some kind of system to keep track of and sort through all of the information that you're about to uncover. Because trust me, um, if you do this right, you're about to be swimming in an outrageous almost unbearable amount of links and numbers and all of this stuff. So without some way to document it all and keep it organized, you're going to get overwhelmed and you're going to hate me. As for what system to use to do this, that is 100% up to you. It could be anything from a simple text document, which I would very much not recommend, to some kind of spreadsheet or database software. So that might be like an Excel spreadsheet or a Google Sheet or some kind of modern cool equivalent like Airtable. Personally, I use and love an app called Notion for this. Um, and in fact, I made a handy Notion template that you can just duplicate and use for yourself to save you the time of, um, of having to put together your own system. And this is in fact the same template that I start from when doing research on the niche that I'm targeting, which right now is political depolarization, and when I'm consulting on DIY distribution for other filmmakers. Now, if you want to use this template, um, I'm, I can't really explain how to get it over a podcast. So I'm just going to give you a link that will lead to instructions for how to like set up your own Notion account and then how to you know, like get the template and duplicate it into your new account and all of that stuff. So just go to filmfreedomshow.com slash research 
And that should hyperlink you right to the place in the written version of this podcast where the instructions are for how to use this template. Now, if you don't want to use Notion or use my template, no worries. Um, here are the types of data and all of the fields that I include in my template that you can set up in your own database app of choice. The first thing, obviously, is the name of the influencer website community or platform that you find is like the primary point of your research. Next is the URLs to their primary site and their social channels. Next is a rough estimate of their audience size of their total reach across all of those channels. And then there's a couple ones that are optional, but highly recommended. So you might break down all of these things you'll find by type. So you'll separate out bloggers, YouTubers, podcasters, full-on media companies, communities, social media influencers, etc. You'll also want some way to discern whether you can be a guest on their media channels. So that means like interviewed on a podcast or submit a guest post, etc. Um, you'll want contact information if you can find it for the person or the organization. And then just have a notes field for jotting down observations and such. So that's basically what you're going to be keeping track of. And once you've got all of that set up with my template or your own system, um, now it's time to get into the real nitty gritty of niche research. So here's the system from a high level. There are two distinct types of research that you'll want to do before committing to a niche. First is high level research which is all about determining financial viability. And that's followed by deep dive research, which is all about ensuring personal fit. They should be done in that sequence, one after the other. So let's start with high level research, which is very much about seeing a potential niche from the 10,000 foot view. Your goal is to understand the full picture of this niche so that you can answer one super duper important question, which is if I commit to serving this niche, will it actually pay off for me? In other words, it's about determining the financial validity of a given niche before you ever start making films there. And this is one of the key ways, one of the best ways you can avoid spending a ton of time and money on a film only to release it to crickets. Now we're going to get into a very specific process that I have for conducting this style of research in a moment. Um, but first, I think it's more important to know exactly what you're looking for. And for me, there are really three key indicators or questions that you need to keep in mind as you're going through the, the keyword roulette process that I'm about to share with you. So here are the three questions. Number one, how big is the niche, at least roughly speaking? Number two, how engaged are people within the niche? And then number three, are there other creators, influencers, or media companies already serving the niche? So let's break each of these down a bit more. So for starters, the size of the niche should be at least as big as the minimum viable audience number that you came up with in the last lesson. So go back and listen to that or read it or whatever if you haven't done that. But just as a quick refresher, your MVA minimum viable audience number, is the minimum number of people that you need to reach with your films in order to hit your personal financial goals. And again, everybody's goals are going to be a little bit different, and that number is going to fluctuate depending on those goals. But for most people, a good starting place is a niche size of around 500,000 people. It's just a good ballpark for starting. And if you're curious how I got to that number, um, go back to the previous episode and uh, dig in. Anyhow, if in the course of your research, you find that the niche isn't even close to your MVA number, you're going to have to go back to the drawing board because otherwise you're taking on significant financial risk. If the niche just isn't big enough to support you financially, then you're, you're kind of screwed right out of the gate. 
So that's factor number one is niche size. The second factor, niche engagement, is just as important because there are quite a few niches online that have plenty of people in them, but they don't really talk to one another or engage with content or share in any kind of meaningful way. And as a filmpreneur, um, again, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to use that word now that Alex Ferrari is the filmtrepreneur guy, but anyhow, as, a, as an entrepreneurial filmmaker, you really need that kind of engagement in order to insert yourself into the culture, um, to insert yourself into the conversations that are already happening um, so that you can have your ideas and your content and your films spread. If you're trying to get an unengaged niche to talk about your films, let alone purchase them, it's going to feel a lot like trying to squeeze blood from a stone. But if you know ahead of time that the inhabitants of this niche are enthusiastic about consuming and sharing content and that they love talking to one another, that right there is a clear green light to go ahead because that's the kind of ecosystem you need for your marketing to really take off. And then the final factor, which is the presence of other creators or influencers, is also hugely, hugely important. So for starters, if the niche already has other creators or influencers or media companies, it's a really good indicator that you also will be able to earn and monetize attention there. Basically, it's a signal that people in the niche are hungry for content around their identities. And in economics terms, because that demand exists, the supply crops up to satisfy it. But there's another reason that I stress this point so much. Um, one of the best ways to reach a lot of people with your films isn't Facebook ads or content marketing or anything of that sort. Instead, the best, most cost-effective way that I found for reaching a ton of people is to connect with creators who've already built audiences in those niches, build mutually beneficial relationships with those folks, and then ask for them to promote you. With five or 10 of the right influencer relationships, you can take your little film business to pretty substantial heights way more quickly than you ever imagined without having to get your hands dirty with a lot of like tactical nuanced marketing stuff. But again, this super powerful strategy is only really on the table if you choose to enter a niche that has an existing media ecosystem. So those are the three key indicators for a financially viable niche, size, engagement, influencers. So from a high level, you'll spend a few hours going through the keyword roulette process that I'm about to share with you. You'll gather data from as many sources as possible, and then you'll make a judgment about whether those three areas are sufficiently covered to keep digging. So if the niche is big enough to meet your MBA, it's full of engaged people, and there are other influencers already working there, you've got yourself a damn fine niche hypothesis and a green light to keep moving on into the deep dive research process, which we'll get to later. Okay, so now that you know what you're looking for, it's time to get into the weeds of how the niche research process works at a high level. So I would like to introduce you to a concept that I've come to call keyword roulette. Um, but the more I've thought about it, maybe keyword wheel of fortune is a more apt metaphor. I'll let you decide after you learn the process. Um, either way, the, the process itself works like this. The first step is brainstorming a list of keywords that describe your niche. The second step is combining those keywords with various search modifiers. And then the third step is to work your way through a ton of different keyword and modifier combinations across multiple search engines. And that's the process in a nutshell. So let's dig into each of these steps a bit more. So the first step, again, is coming up with niche keywords. And to do this, you're going to ask yourself, how does this group describe themselves? What do they refer to themselves as? 
what are the exact words they use? Is there any unique jargon? And even more than how they describe themselves, you might want to pick out a few of the core topics or ideas that this niche cares about the most and then formulate additional keywords around those. Now, if you're already a member of said niche, this should be insanely easy. You can probably pull most of these keywords right from your head because that knowledge is already there, just embedded within you simply because you were a member of that culture. That said, if you're outside the niche, which is not something that I would recommend, you'll likely have to do a bit of digging and Googling around ahead of time um, just to put together your keyword list so that you can start this process. Now, I want to give you an example of what this looks like in practical terms. So last year, I was consulting on a narrative indie feature that was targeting the niche of aspiring musicians. So when we went into the research phase, here's the list of keywords that I came up with for the research process. So for starters, there's indie musician, artist, band, producer. So any of those, it might be indie musician or indie band or indie artist or indie producer, any combination of those. Then we've got aspiring musician, artist, band, producer. We've got beginner musician, artist, band, producer. And then on the topic side, since the film was very much about a band going on the road and looking for their big career break, um, we also talked about indie music career or indie music business or indie musician tour combined with some of those previous keyword combinations. So once I had all of those, it was time to dive into the research phase itself. And you're going to want to get your fingers warmed up here, maybe do some like finger stretching or something because you are about to do some hardcore Googling. Your job now is to take your list of keywords and one by one, combine them with the following list of search modifiers or just the modifiers that make most sense for your particular niche. So here's the list. Blog, news, magazine, group, community, forum, Reddit, meetup, Amazon, chat, mailing list, newsletter, video, tutorials, film or movie, YouTube, Facebook group, creator, Twitter, Instagram, influencer, resources, help, advice, wiki, and media. So let's piggyback off of my example from above. When I went to do the research for the indie musician film, I took my list of keywords um, and I chose the one that I thought was most likely to yield fruit as a starting place. And then I just started Googling my ass off. So for instance, here are some of the keyword and modifier combinations that I tried together. So you might do indie musician plus blog or indie musician plus community or aspiring musician plus newsletter, maybe indie band plus movie or indie musician tour plus resources or maybe indie artists plus Facebook group. I could keep going forever and ever on that, but I'm sure you get the point. You take your keywords, you combine them with modifiers, and you work your way through the list until you've uncovered every visible trace of your niche that exists online. And through this process, you'll get a really good sense of whether that third criteria, um, an existing media ecosystem of creators and influencers, is present. And in fact, if you do this research right and you document everything well, um, you'll come out the other end with a giant searchable list of influencers who may or may not help you promote your films, which is pretty rad. 
Now, we're going to talk about how to document and analyze all this stuff in a moment, but I just have three more considerations that I want you to consider when doing this keyword roulette process. The first one is just to remember that Google is far from the only important search engine for this type of research. So for instance, YouTube is a powerful search engine, as are Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, Quora. All of these platforms are basically native search engines. So in addition to your basic Google searches, you'll want to run a lot of those keywords directly through the platforms that make the most sense for your particular niche. And at the very least, I very highly recommend that you search directly on Facebook and YouTube, as that'll nearly always surface results that don't show up in a Google search for whatever reason. The second thing that I want to mention is that this is indeed one of the most tedious things you'll likely ever have to do on the business side of filmmaking. And I have zero doubt about that. And to be fully transparent with you, this process, for lack of a better way of putting it, sucks ass. Even like I'm an experienced marketer and I really don't like doing it. So after an hour or so of going through this, you might find yourself thinking, oh my God, this is awful. Why did I ever listen to Rob? And in those moments, I just want you to remind yourself of why this is important. You are laying a super strong foundation for your indie film business. You're ensuring that you'll be able to make a living telling the stories that you love. And you're also getting a major competitive advantage in our hugely saturated media landscape. Not that you're competing with other filmmakers, but you're going to have a huge leg up on them as well. In other words, this is supremely important work. And when you connect with those deeper reasons and see the future that you're creating for yourself, it'll help you push through the tedium of it. And the final thing that I would mention is this. Even though this style of research is tedious, the beautiful thing is that it's self-contained and it's a one-off process. You only have to do it once when diving into a new niche. And then when that initial work is done, you can move forward with confidence and certainty. And just uh, to wrap this up on a more practical note, personally, I like to do this style of research in 30 to 60 minute chunks, after which I'll go do something fun to decompress a little bit. There's really no need to subject yourself to too much of this in one sitting unless you're on a tight deadline or maybe, again, you're a complete psychopath. Um, but if you take a week and chip away at this high-level research for like 30 minutes a day, that should be more than enough time to uncover all of the information that you need and determine financial validity. So yeah, that's really all I have to say about keyword roulette and how to do it. But that still leaves a few important questions if you're tracking along with this. Questions like, how do you actually document all this stuff? How do you uncover and interpret the data? And then once you've got that raw data, what exactly are you looking for? So we are going to dive into all of that right now. So for starters, you should already have some kind of system to document what you find. If not, go back to the section before and set one up or just use the Notion template that I provided earlier. And again, you can find the details for that at filmfreedomshow.com slash research. Anyhow, once you have that set up, here's the process to go through for everything you find during keyword roulette. For each new influencer or website or community that you find, you're going to create an entry in your database. You're going to include a link to their primary and secondary websites, social profiles, etc. And finally, you're going to include a rough estimate of the size of their audience and their reach, um, and more about that in a little bit. But that's the bare minimum of what you should document and include in your research database. However, if you want to step it up a notch, there are a few other things that you can document that are going to make your life way easier later on. For starters, you can also categorize all these entries. So you could separate out the Facebook groups, the blogs, the YouTube channels, the news sites, etc. 
Um, and in smaller niches, this isn't necessarily important, but but if you're going after a, a larger niche that already has a fairly established media ecosystem, you'll very much want the ability to sort your database by type later on. Another column or field that's worth adding in your database is whether or not each entry allows for guests to access their platform. In other words, do they accept guest posts on their blog? Do they interview people for their podcast? Do they do collaborations with other YouTubers or maybe like channel takeovers on Instagram or any other kind of um, guest or collaboration thing? It's really, really helpful to make note of the channels that allow this ahead of time because once it comes time to promote your films, um, these outlets are basically the low-hanging fruit. And it's really nice having all of them in one place where you can sort them by size or category or any other number of factors. And finally, one other thing you'll likely want to keep track of is the contact information for each of these creators. So you'll add their email address or a link to their Facebook profile so that you can message them or any other contact methods that you can find publicly. And it'll be insanely useful to have all that information in one place once it comes time to do your influencer outreach later on. However, I just want to stress that you won't find contact info for a lot of the people you encounter in your research. Um, in fact, in my own endeavors doing this kind of stuff, I've noticed that contact info is usually only available for maybe a third or maybe half of the people that I come across. And it's probably going to be the same for you, and that is totally okay. So don't feel like you have to spend hours trying to uncover their contact info or figuring out how to reach them. Um, more than anything, that's a problem for future you to solve. But right now, the most important thing is just getting through the keyword roulette process and validating your niche. Um, it's just an added bonus if you can find that contact info now. At this point, you might be asking how on earth you can tell how big someone's audience is. And there are a number of ways we'll talk about in a second. But first, I really want to stress that this isn't an exact science, especially when it comes to things like website traffic, email lists, or podcast listeners. Um, with those types of things, it's pretty unlikely that you'll be able to find a precise number. However, there is one rad tool that you can use, which I'll tell you about momentarily, um, as well as a bunch of different signals to look at that you can kind of combine in terms of making an educated guess as to their audience size and their reach. So here's my list of things that you can use to get a sense of this. For starters, that tool that I mentioned is called SimilarWeb, and it's both a Chrome plugin and just like a web platform. And you can just put in a URL to get a pretty accurate estimate of that website's traffic, where it comes from, and who their competitors are. Um, this platform is freaking awesome, and it's free to use. So again, it's called SimilarWeb. Um, and you can use it as a Chrome plugin or just go directly to their website. But I prefer the Chrome plugin because like any site I go to, I can just like click on that little Chrome icon and a little like popover thing will show up and it will give me all of the relevant data without me having to leave that website, which is really badass. So that's the first thing. The other methods you can use for gauging audience size are pretty intuitive. So you'll want to make note of the follower numbers that they have on Facebook Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or any platforms that display that kind of thing publicly. When you're in communities and forums, you'll want to make note of member counts. So things like Facebook group, um, subreddits, Pinterest boards, and forums and such, most of them have some indication of how many people are there, which is great. So make note of that. On sites like YouTube, 
Um, you really want to pay close attention in addition to the number of subscribers to how many views individuals get on average over time, because that's generally an indication of um, how much attention they can get on an ongoing basis. Then on sites like Facebook, however, um, you probably want to ignore video view numbers because, you know, Facebook is notorious for inflating the shit out of them um, and, and manipulating that data in ways that makes it basically meaningless for this type of research. And finally, if they have a podcast, um, go in and look at the ratings and reviews. How many do they have? And for me, the, there's a general rule of thumb that I go by, and that's that I would assume that one out of every 100 listeners will take the time to leave a rating or a review. So if they have 30 ratings or 30 reviews, multiply that by 100 and you might have a vague sense of how many people are listening. But again, that is hugely unscientific. Don't think that you're going to magically understand, but, but it is still a good way to tell whether they have a sizable or engaged audience on the podcast side of things. Now, what you do with all of this is that for every new creator or platform you find in your research, just run through this list of size indicators and just make an educated guess as to their reach. So let's use my website, Filmmaker Freedom, um, as an example of this, just so you can sort of get your head around what this might look like, because there is a little bit of science to it, but it is equally as much of an art. So right now, um, just to tell you straight up front, Filmmaker Freedom gets roughly 25,000 to 30,000 page views a month. It has an email list of 5,000 people, a Facebook page with 22,000 followers, a Facebook group with, I think, almost 5,000 members now, a podcast with three to 4,000 downloads a month as well as some smaller numbers on other channels um, like Instagram and Twitter that I don't really pay attention to. Sorry, guys. Now, other than the email list and the podcast downloads, you could easily find all of that information just by searching my site and social profiles. And you could actually get a pretty fair estimate of my podcast downloads um, from that little podcast review trick that I told you earlier. It's actually weird how, how accurate it is for my specific audience. But from all of that digging, you could make a fairly easy and fairly accurate guess that my total reach is somewhere in the range of 30 to 40,000 people. And again, that number isn't exact, but that's okay. It's close enough. You never really need to know someone's precise audience size because in order to validate your niche, all you need is a loose estimate of how many people are in the orbit of your influencers, your media companies, communities, um, etc. And once you've gone through this process for everything you find in your niche, you should have a fairly good idea of whether it's big enough to constitute your minimum viable audience number. So in terms of determining size, that's all I've got for you. Now, I want to circle back around to this idea of paying really close attention to niche engagement in addition to niche size. And again, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but it is worth stressing again and again and again, because niche size is important, sure. But to get the full picture of a niche, you need to pay equal attention to engagement. Because again, a niche could be huge, but if the people there aren't actively engaging and talking to one another, that size is pretty meaningless for our purposes. Because in order to build an audience and for your content and films to spread, you need to be able to insert yourself into an engaged media ecosystem where people are already communicating. In other words, the people in your niche need to have a demonstrable hunger for content, connection, and conversation. And it's this ongoing communication between like-minded people that's basically the lifeblood of your marketing. 
Without it, you might be able to sell a few copies of your film through brute force or get a few people to watch it on Amazon, but you'll never be able to reap the benefits of word of mouth, which is essential for creating perennial sellers or, you know, films that continue to sell themselves over time and uh, increasingly over time, which is one of the foundations for building a sustainable long-term business. So that's why, in addition to judging the size of an itch during your research, you need to pay close attention to what I call engagement signals. So here are a handful of those for you to look out for. For starters, are the niche communities that you find active? When was the last post? Did people interact with it? What's the frequency of posting? Is it one person primarily driving the conversation, or is the engagement spread out fairly evenly throughout the community? Also, another thing to look out for is within those communities, do people regularly share outside content and ideas, or is it kind of insular and protected? So next up, do the blogs, the YouTube channels, the podcasts, um, do they have recent content? Do they post new stuff on a regular schedule, or is it kind of sporadic? And then, to dig even deeper on those, on said blogs and YouTube channels, are there comments? If so, are the comments thoughtful um, and clearly from engaged people, or are they just sort of silly and vapid, or are they complete spam? There's a lot of spam comments on the internet. Now, when these creators or companies post their work across Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc., are their conversations happening natively on those platforms? And for the influencers you find that are native to social platforms, um, do the same kind of analysis. How much, how often do they post? How do people engage with what they share. And like determining niche size, this piece of the process isn't an exact science. Um, and there's really no meaningful way to measure engagement across an entire niche as far as I know. Maybe maybe somebody invented a crazy expensive tool or something. But, um, but for me, you just have to use your best judgment here. Does the niche feel lively and active, like it's full of engaged people who clearly give a damn and who clearly want to be there? Or is it just kind of flat and dead? If it's the latter, that is a significant red flag and one that you should probably not ignore. Um, however, if the niche is big enough to meet your minimum viable audience number, and it already has a system of creators and influencers in place, and it is indeed engaged and full of frequent conversation, that is the go-ahead you need. You've now got the green light to move forward. And at this point, you have successfully completed phase one of the niche research process and you're ready to move on to the deep dive phase. All right, now it's time for step two of the research process. And once you have determined that your niche is indeed financially viable, um, there is one last important determination that you need to make before committing to it, and that's personal fit and enjoyability. So if high-level research is all about seeing your niche from 10,000 feet, deep dive research it's all about getting down in the mud and getting super dirty. Um, in a nutshell, what you're going to do through this phase is actively immerse yourself in the niche to understand whether it will be an enjoyable, fulfilling place to spend your time. And I'm going to share more about how to do this in a moment. Um, but first, a little bit of context for why this is so, so, so damn important. Now, in the previous episode of this series, we talked a little bit about why building a business like this is a marathon and not a sprint. To recap all of that, though, um, in order to reap the rewards of audience building and to create a business that gets more profitable and easier to run over time, it's really important to stay committed to a single niche. 
And sure, you can jump to a new niche every time you make a new film. That is an option that's available to you. But when you do this, you sacrifice the ability to sell to the customers and fans that you worked so hard to cultivate in your previous niche. And you might think that your fans will follow you from film to film, but when we're talking about niche media, people watch it because it's relevant to their interests. And if we switch to a new niche, our new work just won't be relevant in the same way that our previous work was relevant. So there's very little likelihood that people will follow us from niche to niche to niche and film to film to film. So the point I'm trying to get at is that if you care about long-term sustainability and profitability, jumping to new niches all the time is a problem because one of the core principles of running a sustainable business is doing what it takes to acquire customers, build genuine relationships with them, and then continuing to sell to them for years and years on end. In business circles, this is known as maximizing the lifetime value of a customer. And for creatives, you might refer to it as uh, creating true fans or creating super fans, people who will continue to buy everything you make because they like you so much. Um, but either way, as indie filmmakers, we can only take advantage of this powerful strategy when we commit to serve a single niche over the long term. And this is how you make a really sustainable living from your films without constantly having to hustle and sell and market yourself and without having to go through that goddamn keyword roulette process again and again and again. Because I know that once you do it once, you'll be like, I think I'm good now. Um, anyhow, that brings me back to the core idea behind deep dive research. If building a business like this is a marathon and not a sprint, it'd be kind of helpful if we actually enjoy running, right? And more than that, it'd be nice if we did everything in our power to ensure a pleasant race day. And that's exactly what we're doing when we validate our niches for personal fit and enjoyability. We're making the, the marketing journey and the creation journey that lies ahead of us an enjoyable one instead of something that will consistently suck out your soul and leave you just, you know, crying in the fetal position in the shower or something. Um, so with all of that out of the way, let's talk about the actual process of deep dive research. And the first thing I'll tell you about this is that deep dive research is all about thinking and acting like an anthropologist. And more specifically, you'll want to approach this through the lens of ethnography, which is a, a subset of like anthropological study. Um, and in its simplest definition, ethnography is the systematic study of groups and cultures. And someone who's an ethnographer, you know, a person who does ethnography, they use two key tools in order to do this. The first is participant observation, and the second is informal interviews. In other words, ethnography is the art and science of actively immersing yourself in a culture, observing how people interact, and then just talking with and engaging with people yourself, all while sort of making note of what you find. That's ethnography in a nutshell. And that is exactly what you're going to do in the deep dive research phase. You're going to become an active, engaged member of this identity group and become a member of their media ecosystem if you're not already. And you're going to interact with people and talk to people for an extended period of time. Now, luckily, this style of research is much simpler than the high-level stuff. You don't need any fancy spreadsheets or databases or anything, and there's no math involved. Um, more than anything, it's just about creating the circumstances required to let your intuition work its magic. So here's what to do on a very practical level. First, you're going to join all of the online communities you can find in the niche, and that means Facebook groups, forums, subreddits, and even private communities like those hosted on platforms like Mighty Networks or Discourse or Slack or wherever it is that your niche hangs out. Next up, 
in addition to joining communities, you're going to follow all of the creators, all of the influencers, the media companies that you found during your high-level research. And you're going to subscribe to all of the newsletters and other communication channels you find. Basically, you're going to take any and every opportunity to immerse yourself in the niche and connect to all of the open communication happening there. You're actively creating the circumstances required to truly, deeply understand what this ecosystem is like on a day-to-day basis. And at this point, I'm just going to throw in a quick side note. If you're worried about spam and information overwhelm, um, maybe you've carefully curated your, your online existence so that it's not this noisy. If that's you, you might consider making a new email address or even new social profiles specifically for engaging in deep dive research. That way, all of this new information you're about to encounter is contained and doesn't spill into your existing online life. Um, Just be aware that if you do this, especially with your social profiles, it could very well jeopardize your ability to connect with people as they might assume that you're like a Russian bot or something. I don't know. Anyhow, for at least a week or three or more, for maybe even up to a month, You're going to spend as much time here as possible. You're going to engage in conversations. You're going to consume the media that comes to you. You're going to read the comments. You're going to click through the hashtags and generally just be an active online participant in this ecosystem. Now, even though this is less structured than the high-level stuff, I do still recommend approaching it in kind of a structured way. Ideally, you set aside at least 30 minutes a day, uh, but preferably more, to just really dig in and participate in these communities. Put it on your calendar if you have to. So now let's talk a little bit about what specifically you're looking for in your deep dive research. And remember, again, it's a marathon and not a sprint. So we want to make sure that we'll enjoy being in the niche for the foreseeable future. And to that end, your deep dive research is all about spotting red flags ahead of time. You're looking for signals that indicate that you'll grow weary or annoyed, jaded, or maybe even resentful of this niche. So unlike high-level research, which is somewhat scientific at least, and it's fairly quantitative, deep dive research is all about trusting your gut. It's about immersing yourself in the culture for a while and seeing how that immersion makes you feel. So here are a few questions to ask or a few signals to look for. Do you relish the conversations that you're participating in? Do you feel a sense of belonging and connection with the communities that you've joined? Do you enjoy consuming media from these niche creators that you're now following? Are the comments left on that media, are they supportive or are they toxic and stupid? Are the topics that people are talking about most, are they interesting to you or are they kind of boring? And most importantly, can you imagine yourself happily creating media here and not getting bored? If, after spending a good deal of time in the niche, you land on the positive side of these questions, then uh, congrats, because you have found yourself the perfect niche to build your film business around, and that is a huge, huge deal. And you should very much pat yourself on the back once you've done it. However, if you spot red flags and your niche rubs you the wrong way right out of the gate, that is a very good indication that your negative feelings towards it will only grow and get exacerbated with time. And I'd actually like to give you an example of this from one of the students in my course, The Film Audience Blueprint. So he and his producing partner um, decided to target the niche of people who are interested and engaged in polyamorous relationships. So people who have uh, more than one romantic partner at any given time. And though it seems pretty out there and small, the high-level research they did confirmed that this niche would indeed be a profitable place. There are a ton 
of people talking about and engaging in polyamory these days. And there's a fairly thriving network of communities and media in that realm all talking about this. However, upon immersing themselves in that niche, they found it was not a particularly enjoyable place. And in fact, they kind of hated it. Many of the conversations happening in those polyamory communities were based on complaints that people had about their romantic partners. And in many cases, the discussions around those complaints turned outright judgmental and demeaning and toxic. So even though the niche was validated from a financial standpoint, it just was not a good fit for a long-term business. And that's something that you really want to know ahead of time before you commit and start producing media there. Point is, Do not skip deep dive research, especially if you're trying to build a long-term business. Otherwise, you run the risk of coming to resent your niche and hating the fact that you have to engage there in order to make a living. And I don't want that for me. I don't want that for you. So just do the research, okay? Okay. And uh, yeah, that's actually all I've got for you today. Um, The whole filmmaker freedom niche research process just laid right out for you like that. So I do want to do a quick recap because like before, we have covered a lot of big ideas. So here's what we went over today. First off, doing niche research isn't sexy and it's not fun, but it's the best way to ensure the profitability of your films before you've ever written a word or shot a frame. Remember, we want to win the war before we've ever stepped foot on the battlefield. This is how we do it. And to put a finer point on that, skipping out on market research can, and very often does, um, lead to wasting time and money on projects that nobody ultimately wants. For a medium that's as expensive and time-consuming as film, that's just not a risk-taking unless you want to approach it as a hobbyist, in which case, more power to you. Next, before diving into the research process itself, come up with several niche hypotheses and set up a database system to keep track of everything you find. Next up, the research process consists of two distinct parts. You start with high-level research to determine financial viability, and then you do deep dive research to ensure it's a good long-term fit. The core activity of high-level research is keyword roulette, where you work through a series of keywords and modifiers across a variety of search engines. The main goals of high-level research are to ensure that this niche is big enough to meet your minimum viable audience and that there's already an active, engaged media ecosystem in place. And you'll also discover influencers who will potentially help you promote your films later on. Deep dive research, on the other hand, is all about actively immersing yourself in the niche for an extended period of time. This means joining the communities, consuming the content, having conversations, and being an active participant. And the goal of deep dive research is to make sure there aren't glaring red flags. If you don't really enjoy the niche after a few weeks, imagine how much antipathy you're going to feel towards it after months and years. It's best to learn this lesson up front before you have invested too much time and work into a niche. And finally, if a niche makes it through both stages of research, it is indeed the perfect niche for you and your films. And uh, yeah, that's it. Once you work through the whole process, you should come out the other end with a niche that's validated for both profitability and enjoyability. And after that, you're in a pretty enviable position. And you can really get on with your life. You can start building your business, creating content, making films, creating ancillary products, um, and all of the fun things that come along with being an entrepreneurial filmmaker. 
and we will talk way more about that soon. Now, before I leave you today, a quick reminder that this is part three in our four-part series on how to truly dominate niche filmmaking. In the final part, probably coming next week, but who knows, because some of these take a long time. Um, but in that final part, I'm going to be sharing a technique that I call audience mapping, which is extraordinarily damn powerful. Once you've got an audience map in hand, you'll be able to create content and tell stories that resonate so deeply in your niche that competition practically becomes irrelevant. You'll have the keys to the kingdom when it comes to truly earning and keeping attention in our cutthroat media landscape. But for now, you've got yourself some research to do. So good luck, my friend, and Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to revisit the ideas in today's episode, you can find the transcribed version as well as the full archive of shows over at filmfreedomshow.com. And while you're there, feel free to browse around the Filmmaker Freedom website and check out some of the other rad content, including the weekly newsletter. Every Sunday morning, I send out a variety of the most useful, inspiring, thought-provoking stories I've come across that week, as well as some other cool stuff. It'll help you build your skills, master your psychology, and keep up with this ever-changing business. So if you're ready for an email that you'll actually look forward to each week, just head over to filmfreedomshow.com slash newsletter. Also, if the ideas in this show resonate with you, you're a great candidate for Freedom Fighters, which is my private community just for entrepreneurial indie filmmakers. It's totally free to join, but there is an application process to get in. So if you're interested in surrounding yourself with a group of like-minded entrepreneurial filmmakers who will push you to succeed and help you grow, just go to filmfreedomshow.com community. And lastly, I'd just like to give one more shout out to my friends over at Music Vine for sponsoring this show. The groovy intro and outro music came straight from their library, of course, and there is loads more where that came from. So if you're a discerning filmmaker who needs quality music, just go to musicvine.com and use the code FILMFREEDOM for 25% off your next order. Once again, thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. And I will see you in the next episode of Filmmaker Freedom. Peace. Peace.